From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. Just as soon as you move football to the mental back burner, it comes back with a vengeance the first week of February with National Signing Day. On today's show, we'll review Jim McElwain's Hall with FloridaGators.com senior writer Scott Carter before turning our attention to basketball and the banner week they just enjoyed on the road with freshman Eric Hester and FloridaGators.com senior writer Chris Harry. But kicking things off with football, the frenzy of signing day has come and gone, and now it's time to assess the class. We began our discussion with Scott Carter by getting his overall impressions on the group. When you look at where Florida was maybe uh, a week ago, you know, in the rankings, and coaches aren't going to put a lot of stock in those rankings, but fans do. Uh, What they did today and where they finished, I mean, I think you got to, counted as a successful day for Florida because, uh, you know, this was a situation where, you know, they entered today with a class that was, you know, ranked around 20th, but at the end of the day with what they did today, signing 18 uh, players, a couple of surprises, you know, they're in the top 10. Uh, They're in the top 10 of the three of the four major recruiting services, and the one that they're not in the top 10, they're 13th. So they got where they kind of needed to be, and they filled some needs. They got some players that were hanging in the balance, uh, you know, such as uh, C.J. Henderson out of uh, Columbus High down in Miami. It was a battle between Miami and Florida. It seemed like maybe he was leaning toward Miami. The Gators pick him up. Uh, they also got a defensive tackle from uh, South Florida, T.J. Slayton, a big pickup, maybe the most ready-to-play guy in this class. Uh, huge pickup for him and then at the end of the day, even after Jim McElwain's National Signing Day press conference, you know, they get... Um, Adorius Lemons, a running back, and James Robinson, a receiver. Two big kind of surprises late in the day. So, uh, overall, I mean, if you're a Florida fan and you were out on that ledge uh, maybe a few days ago, you probably were able to step back tonight and say, hey, you know what? Maybe I put too much stock in these rankings. And, you know, wait until the end of National Signing Day. You got a, you got a lot better idea of what's really going to happen. Who's going where? Because, uh, Adam, you know, when you're dealing with these 18-year-old kids, you really don't know. And while coaches, they think they're going to sign all of them if they've had contact, it's, it's just not going to happen. But the Gators uh, fare pretty well today. Well, and there's been a phenomenon, I guess, in each of McElwain's years where there's been some of the speculation going into signing day that it's not going to be up to standard, and then a lot of things happen the day of, and suddenly it changes the whole conversation. So given that that's sort of what's happened the last few years, do you get a sense that Jim McElwain and his staff felt pretty good about the position they were in and were certainly in a different spot than a lot of fans were? I certainly think they had a lot different perspective than the outside world. I mean, uh, I don't think there was anything close to panic on their part. They knew who they were targeting. Uh, They knew where they stood with those players for the most part. And uh, they just needed to get a few of them today to really uh, boost their class overall. That's exactly what happened. Uh, You know, one thing, like you mentioned, it seems like what we've learned about Jim McElwain and his staff since they got up to Florida – 
they do seem to have an ability uh, to close when it really matters most. And uh, you look at what they did around the state. They signed 11 of the top 50 prospects in the state of Florida. That's more than Florida State. That's more than Miami. That's more than USF. That's more than anybody else. And uh, that's huge for them. It's been an emphasis for them. They only signed four of those guys in 2016. They nearly tripled that total, so I'm sure that's something that they're going to hang their hat on in this class, locking up some of that in-state talent. They did very well in the Tampa Bay area, another important uh, area for them. And, of course, South Florida. Uh, you know, I mentioned a couple guys earlier, uh, mm-hmm. T.J. Slayton and C.J. Henderson, both from the Miami area. So you just never know how this thing's going to shake out. But today, as in the past couple of years, they finished strong to have one of the better classes in the country. And, and really, more than anything, Adam, I think it's just continuing the momentum that they needed in the off season. You know, mm-hmm. it started with the bowl win. They took a little step forward, I think, again today with National Signing Day. And now it's just getting all these guys on campus and getting them integrated into the program and see what they can do in fall camp. Looking at what Florida lost last year, in your opinion, what were the biggest needs they were able to fill with this class? Well, you know, you got to start on the defensive side of the ball because they're losing a lot of high-quality talent over there, uh, a lot of starters. Uh, you know, they're losing cornerbacks Quincy uh, Wilson, Jalen Tabor, linebackers Jared Davis and Alex Anzalone. You're losing a couple defensive tackles in Caleb Brantley and Joy Ivey, Marcus May in the secondary. So, I mean, that's a lot of uh, talent that Florida fans are very familiar with and the players that have – there's a reason that Florida's had some of the best defenses in the country the last four or five years because of those guys. <laughs> so you have to replace it to continue uh, to be successful. And One thing that instantly jumped out at me today was they were able to sign six defensive backs. I wow. mean, that's a lot for any school any year. And uh, in a time of need, it especially comes in handy to be able to replenish that depth so quick. Uh, and they did that starting their first national letter of intent in the day came from Marco Wilson, a cornerback from American Heritage down in Fort Lauderdale, who just so happens to be uh, Quincy Wilson's brother and a very similar player. Of, if you look at him, like if you look at the website, a photo of him, I mean, he, he looks really like a Quincy. They, they seem like they could almost be twins, even though they're three years apart. Do we know but for uh, sure that's not a picture of Quincy with, with Marco's <laughs> name on it? Can, we, know, can we produce <laughs> evidence? <laughs> I'm sure that uh, maybe some other schools might uh, want proof of that. But, you know, if you follow recruiting, you're very familiar with Marco Wilson. He's one of the top 50 prospects in the state. Uh, but so is C.J. Henderson, who we talked about a minute ago. Uh, they also brought in, uh, just in the defensive backfield, Sean Davis from Manny Southridge. They got a kid out of Miramar named Brian Edwards. They even got a, a player out of New Orleans who was kind of a late pickup for him, Brad Stewart. Uh, you know, and just talking to uh, Tim Skipper today, who was involved in that recruiting, he's the uh, you know running backs coach, assistant coach there. I mean, he really raved about Brad Stewart. So you know, but six guys overall in the defensive backfield. I mean, that's one area that they needed. They got it. Let's go up front with Slayton, mm-hmm. DJ Slayton. He may be the most ready-to-play guy that they signed. A very sought-after player had offers from you know all the top programs. He comes in and, you know, he's, they need to replace Brantley and Ivy in the middle of that offensive line. So he, he's a guy who fits into those plans uh, prominently. Um, Zachary Carter, defensive end out of Hillsborough High in Tampa. Uh, they also added a couple of linebackers. Like we said, well, you're losing 
Jared Davis and Alex Anzalone, but they, they picked up some linebackers there to add depth behind a couple of uh, young players who I think Florida really likes a linebacker, Kylan Johnson and uh, Voshan Joseph, who we saw a lot last year. But you you got uh, guys like Nick Smith from Dr. Phillips High in Orlando who helped lead that team to the championship game uh, last year. His father, Fernando Smith, played in the NFL for several years in the 90s with the Vikings and the Jaguars and a couple other teams. So, you know, you know that that kind of kid usually comes in with a father who's played in the NFL. He, mm-hmm. he knows the game, has a high football IQ. So I, I really do think they, they met a lot of need on defense, and without question that was uh, imperative for them in this class. Would you say there was one particular surprise that stood out to you? And I know you've done this for a long time. You've seen a lot of these come and go. And is there anything in particular that stood out to you today that, that maybe caught your eye? Two, really. Uh, and it was at the end of the day. They, they had 16 players officially signed when Jim McElwain uh, was about 15 minutes before he was uh, coming over to his press conference. And right before he walks in, uh, it's announced that they've signed James Robinson, a receiver out of Lakeland, who – you know, Robinson, he was kind of a, a storyline late in the week. He was the kid who had a small field troubles on a recruiting visit to Ohio State. Uh, but a lot of things got misstorted there in the public the last few days about academics and about whether he could get into Florida. Jim McElwain just said, look, I mean, we've been with this kid for a while. You wouldn't believe the misinformation that was out there in the last few days. So that was a kind of a surprise when he did sign because there was some belief that he wasn't going to sign. And then as he's at the podium, uh, he, he kind of jokes with the, the crowd. Oh, looks like, he looked at his phone and said, hey, it looks like we got somebody else. And of course, <laughs> everybody's like, who? So it ended up being a Dorius Lemons, a running back from Clearwater High, who is, again, one of those top prospects in the state of Florida. A big kid, a physical kid. He missed half the season of his senior year. He had some off-the-field issues, some grade issues, had to go to a prep school to kind of sort some things out. But they stuck with him, and uh, he stuck with Florida. He's a guy that physically, I mean, he's gifted. I mean, he could be a difference maker for the program down the road if uh, you know he keeps his grades up, stays healthy. So, yeah, those were probably the two biggest surprises, and they were much needed in a way because they're both dynamic offensive players. And, uh, you know, we know the storyline because we're around this program regularly. I mean, that's an area that they continue to seek to build some depth in. Another area that's always talked about with this program, so we would be neglectful if we didn't mention it, the quarterbacks. And there was another quarterback that was part of this class. It didn't get a lot of attention because Jake Allen's been committed, I think, for like three years. But here's another quarterback that's in the mix who's won a lot of state titles and in theory is going to come in and compete for the job. Yeah, you know, it seems like he's been committed since the third grade. You're right. (laughs) He's a guy that... uh... You know, I talked to Doug Nussmeyer, the offensive coordinator. We had him on uh, for a little bit this afternoon, and he said that, you know, what really impressed him about Jake Allen is that he transferred into a powerhouse program down in South Florida, St. Thomas Aquinas. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he wasn't guaranteed anything there, but he came in and won the starting quarterback job as a junior, beat out a couple of guys, and then his senior year, he takes them to the state championship. They win it. He throws five touchdown passes, passes for over 300 yards. And if, if you follow him like a lot of Florida fans have on social media, you can just tell this guy has a vibrant personality, mm-hmm. kind of a natural leader. He was a really big booster for the Gators throughout this whole last recruiting cycle, trying to get other guys to join the, the class. And the, he comes into a situation where, you know, you have two 
redshirt freshmen who are going to be competing for the job in the spring with Luke Del Rio out in Felipe Franks and Kyle Trask. But then he'll come in over the summer, and then suddenly you have three young quarterbacks who have never taken a college snap in a game mm-hmm. on your roster. Like you said earlier, Adam, I mean, we've talked about the quarterback situation at Florida a lot in the last uh, few years. It's a position that I think, you know, a lot of what ails this team, this program, it can be fixed with just solid quarterback play and uh, consistent, a guy to build around. And I think when you look at those three guys, uh, and, you know, Luke Del Rio, I don't want to rule him out because he's going to miss spring. But mm-hmm. if he's healthy, he showed that, you know, he can win. He's 5-1 and one as a starter last year. But regardless, eventually you're going to have to have a quarterback you can hopefully, you know, groom and build with for maybe three years, uh, even four years. Who knows? But they have that going now with Trask and Franks and now Jake Allen. So that's a positive sign, certainly, for the program. Final thing for you. Inevitably, some of these names you just mentioned – fans will never end up knowing. They're never going to make an impact. Now, other guys are going to be legendary players. There'll be a few of them that fans will remember for a long, long time. That's just the way this goes. Using your crystal ball right now, who are the players that you think are most ready to make an impact immediately and pop up on fans' radar? You know, I'm going to start off probably with T.J. Slayton. He's listed 6'4", 360. Chris Rump told me today, the defensive line coach, yeah, he's going to get up here. He's going to have to shed a little weight. But the guy, he says, when you watch this film, it blows you away of how big he is and how fast he moves. And this is a guy that also plays basketball in high school or did play. I look at him as a guy, and I think the coaching staff's looking at him as someone who can come in and maybe have an impact as a true freshman. Uh, and, you know, three, four years down the road, maybe uh, he's a guy we're talking about entering his draft and uh, maybe being a high draft pick. But... You know, I would start with him maybe. The, the guy we talked about a minute ago, the running back out of Clearwater, Zorius Lemons. Uh, I mean, this guy has a lot of talent. He's big, he's fast. Another guy, you know, to keep your eye on. And, you know, there's so many of them that this is a class that, you know, is heavy on four stars and three stars. Mm. And, you know, I know uh, recruiting fans, they get caught up in all the stars. And, you know what, you could go back and look. You know, there are certain five stars that when you see them in high school, you just look at him and, that guy's a little different. Julio Jones stands out as someone that I remember seeing in high school. I was like, wow, that guy has a little something different. So I'm not going to be surprised at all if, you know, in a couple of years, few years, we're going to be talking about him being a star in the NFL. And sure enough, it's happened. But more often than not, it goes the other way. It's where these guys, they get in. Maybe they're a good college player. Maybe they get drafted or signed. But, you know, they, they rarely turn into that bona fide star. But then you have a guy like Antonio Callaway who's, arguably Florida's best player the last two mm-hmm. seasons. Totally under the radar two years ago, a three-star guy. And uh, I won't be surprised at all in a couple of years or even after this next season if he has a big year, if he gets drafted and has a, a career in the NFL. So that's part of, I think, what makes National Signing Day and the whole recruiting subculture so absorbing for fans is because it really is a lot of guessing game, even more so than like the NFL draft. I mean, there's hit and misses there all the time. But in the recruiting world, I mean, there'll be some guys in this class who probably never play a snap at Florida just for various reasons. And there'll be a guy on here who probably will get drafted in a couple of years who was maybe one of the least rated guys in this class. That's just the way it works at every school, every program. Uh, we've seen it before. Uh, but that's what I guess that's what makes it such a, a crazy and unique day. It is a wild, wild day, and uh, we thank you so much for helping us try and, and make a little bit of sense out of it, Scott. Thank you. <laughs> 
Glad to do it, Adam. Basketball coaches like to say that anyone can step up on a given night, but rarely has that been proven in quite the way it was in Baton Rouge. Freshman Eric Kester has played sparingly throughout the year and was mostly out of the rotation in the SEC. But when Canyon Berry was forced to miss the LSU game, it was Hester's time to shine, coming out of nowhere to go 5-for-5 from three and put his name on the map. We sat down with Florida's newest headline grabber and asked him what was working so well for him in the bayou. I guess just playing the right way, just being confident. You know, Coach told me before the game, he was, you know, I'm going to play some minutes tonight. And uh, he just told me to just be confident and be ready to go. And I was. When you play kind of sporadically and you're not always on the floor, how do you stay ready for a moment like that if you don't know what's coming? Right? In this case, you sort of did know it was coming. You know, just every game he tells me to be ready. Normally, the players, coaches, they tell me to be ready. Just be ready to go. Anything can happen. Uh, I just continue to work on my game every day. So you hit that first three, and then two, and then three, and then four. So what, what's going through your head as the game progresses? And not only is the team hitting tons of threes, but you're knocking down a, a bunch as well. I was kind of just free-minded. It was just coming to me. There were wide-open shots. I just let it come naturally, and they were just going in. When players have record performances, a lot of times they don't know about it till someone like me tells them after the game. Mm. When you're a part of that and being on the bench during it as well, do you guys realize you're breaking records for threes? I mean, did it occur to you that you guys were hitting a ridiculous number or did it just feel nah, like any other game? It just felt like any other game. We Normally, we had a bad shooting game against South Carolina mm-hmm. and uh, went 0 for 17. And we got back in the gym and everybody was putting up shots and just staying confident. We wasn't really thinking about it. We just kept shooting the ball. It was falling for us. It's such a phenomenon in sports sometimes because you mentioned it. You go 0 for 17 Mm -hmm. one week, and then a week later you set the school record. How do you explain that? Is there any way to explain that, or is is that the way the ball bounces sometimes? To be honest, I guess that's just the way the ball bounces sometimes. Uh, Some nights you're not going to have the best night shooting, and you got to figure out and find a way to win and find a way to get a bucket. So you have a big performance can sell us to you. What happens after that? Are you people hitting you up on social media? You getting lots of text messages? I mean, how quickly did you start to feel the, the effects of that? Yeah, I definitely was getting a lot of text messages and, and uh, a lot of that stuff going on. Uh, you know, I just block out the noise because, you know, about two weeks ago, no one knew where I was and no one was saying anything about me. And, and as soon as I get in, I hit shots and now I'm this and that. So I just, <laughs> you know, I just keep my mind, stay focused. Overall, for the team, a week ago, things are going a different direction. You drop back-to-back games, suddenly there's questions, you're on the edge of the top 25, and then you go out and you have two 30-point wins on the road, which are just pretty unheard of. What did the coaches focus on, and what did you guys focus on internally to help change that direction? Defense. That's what it was. We knew that we had to uh, sit down and play defense on the road, especially on the road, Mm -hmm. to, you know, be able to be successful and everyone bought in everyone from one through 13 all the players we all bought in and played d you guys are used to spending a lot of time together but then you have this mega road trip where you're on the road together for five straight days at this point in the year how beneficial is that to have all of that time together to really get through this middle part of the season it was really good for us you know we we kind of like playing away we like playing away it keeps us on edge playing away you know, being together all the time and having no distractions and, you know, it's good for us. 
did that sort of develop during the preseason because you're playing every game away from home? So did you sort of get into this this place where it was almost more comfortable playing on the road because that's what you guys did every time out? Yeah, yeah, it definitely did get comfortable. We definitely play a lot better when we're away. If we can go back in time, but I want to go back to, to growing up and where you came from. Can you tell us about your family and where you grew up? I was born in California, Bakersfield, California, and I was raised here in Florida, Clearwater, and also I moved back and forth from Clearwater to Tampa. Um, my uh, siblings, four mm-hmm. other siblings, and my uncle, my great-grandpa, so we had a full house. It was about four bedrooms and 12 people in one wow. house. So. Can you talk about the impact your grandparents had on you? I mean, growing up in a house like that where your grandparents are kind of lording over everybody, talk about how that affected you growing up. I definitely, they definitely kept me in check. You know, they 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 did what they can and they did their best and everything they could do for me. That was to get me some new shoes. They break their backs for me to to do that. And uh, if it was for giving me money to travel and, and all that and whatnot, they did whatever they could. And I was extremely grateful for him do you remember when you first started playing basketball and how did you get involved with it and at what point did you really commit to basketball uh it was about my seventh grade year I was playing football up to seventh grade and um I tried out for the middle school team Mm -hmm. and I made it and uh I never played I didn't play the whole year and I that summer I just went in and I just kept working and working and working I ain't even wasn't even thinking about football anymore and I just wanted to be able to play. And after that, I just kept working. The majority of your teammates in this team were recruited and signed by Coach Donovan. You were the first player Coach White signed here at Florida. Can you talk about the recruiting process and, and how you ended up here? Um, I was being recruited by, you know, Louisville and uh, a lot of high major schools. And when uh, Coach White got the job here, he just every day, they just kept calling me and texting me, and it wasn't. It had nothing really to do with basketball, you know. They just called me and make sure I was doing the right things and make sure I was living right. Mm-hmm. And we just built this relationship, and I felt like I had the best relationship with them. And I trust and believe, you know, that they would get me to where I need to be. What did it mean to you to be his first player he signed here? Does that hold any special significance to you? It do. But we had Dante. I was able to get Dante to come in here, too. Mm-hmm. And being able to play with him also next year would be great. So Dante Bissett, who is your high school teammate, yeah. what did it mean to have him come here with you as well, just not only in a basketball sense, but also just adjusting to college and having someone from back home to, to do that with? It definitely helps. I mean, I built a relationship with all the other guys here on the team, and they're great guys, and I like being around all of them. But being around Dante, you know, that's he, I've been around him for two to three years in high school, so he's like a brother to me. Adjusting to college, what have been the biggest challenges there for you making the jump from high school and then coming here to, to Florida? Just the game, the the speed of it, it's, it's just completely different. It's fast. A lot of the players are stronger, faster. You just that's that's just the biggest jump for me. When you're used to growing up in your grandparents' house and having everybody around, what's it been like having to live on your own and not have all those people there to, to help you out? It's definitely different, a lot different, being out on my own, you know, because there's a lot of distractions mm-hmm. and things like that. But uh, I got enough home training, and my grandparents, you know, taught me well, you know, be able to stay focused, and I, I stay focused for them and my family. 
when you come here from high school and, and you take more of a, a bench role in your first year, what's that challenge like? Because you're used to being a star, you used to always be out there on the court. How do you kind of adjust to a different role that you've had here in your, your first season? It's not tough at all, you know, because at the end of the day we're winning and I'm here to get better and learn, you know. It's, it's the process. And I, I knew right off the back I wasn't going to come in and be a starter and play all these minutes. I had to work for it. What teammate do you think you've learned the most from since you've been here? It would be definitely from Casey. We watch film a lot together, watch the games together. Coach May gives what, let me watch a lot of his film, mm-hmm. and he gives me great advice. And also Cheese, he gives me great advice also. I feel like so many of your teammates also mention Casey in terms of being that leader. Why is he so universally recognized as a guy that people look up to? Um, it's because, you know, he, he's been here the longest. He knows the ropes. He knows what it takes. He's been on a, on a great team, the Final Four team, so he knows what it takes to get there. And I, I think that that there is why, you know, a lot of people look up to him. And, you know, he, he works hard and he, he grinds every day. He's going to give you, you know, everything. I know another guy I look up to is Russell Westbrook, your favorite player. What is it about Russell Westbrook that you like so much? He just, he's just a dog. He just, <laughs> he just plays. He hoops. He just, like, there's no words for him. He's just mm-hmm. different. Yeah, he's, he's definitely, he's, he's one of a kind. Um, I just like the, the, the dog in him. Is it just the way he plays, or is it the swagger as well? The, the whole package. It's there? the whole. It's the whole package. The way you know he, the way he carries himself off court. You know he, when Durant left, mm-hmm. you know that kind of, you know, hurt him in the heart. You can tell by that. And uh, he definitely took a serious approach this year to proving that he doesn't need him. And I, I respect that. Now, on your trip last week, you guys had a chance to go see Oklahoma City play. Mm-hmm. So, is that the first time you'd ever seen him play in person? Yeah, that was definitely the first time. Pretty cool. Do you get to meet him at all or no? Nah. Um, no, but we got to, you know, talk to Doe. What was that like getting to talk to someone who, I mean, is now at the place where all you guys want to be, who was just sitting here where you are a year ago, now doing it at, at the next level? It, it expires you, you know. It, it expires you to, 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 to work hard and... He definitely worked hard, and he deserved it to be where he at. Outside of basketball, and you have some free time, what do you like to do away from the game? Listen to music. What kind of music? Uh, Lufo, Drake, Little Uzi. It's probably like my favorites. So do you just kick back and listen, or you, you listen to music while you're doing other things? Are there any other activities you like to do outside of basketball? No, not really. No? no. I just, mean, besides schoolwork, I just, you know, we just... We play 2K a lot. I hear everybody plays 2K, so it's like you guys can't get away, can you? No. You get away, and you got to go play 2K. So yeah. you compete on the court, you compete in 2K. Yeah. It's just a, it's a nonstop competition. Yeah, we definitely <laughs> compete in 2K, all of us. If there's something you could say, what's something unique about you that other people may not know? Maybe even your teammates don't know. Uh, I like drawing. Do you? Like okay. Draw. What do you like to draw? Anything, really. Superheroes, cartoons, all types of things like that. Cars. Have you and Justin compared... Your uh, your work at all? No, I, I didn't know anything about that. See, you didn't even know about it. See, it's a hidden. Now you got to ask him about it. You guys could have some art competition. He did a self-portrait of himself, he told us last year. We're, we're exposing things you don't even know about your teammates here. Right. <laughs> I want to get things back to what's going on right now. You guys have some serious momentum right now. That's obvious after winning two games on mm-hmm. the road by 30 points. How do you keep that momentum, not just this weekend, but moving forward? How do you keep that intensity? Um, just stay in focus. That's the biggest thing. Don't don't let no noise and 
you know, the media or anything else, you know, tell us different when we all play for each other. And uh, just staying focused is the biggest thing. It's the biggest key right now. It's playing the right way and buying in to each other. Speaking of noise, that tends to happen when Kentucky comes in. So you have Missouri on Thursday, and then Saturday Kentucky comes in. Do you get caught up in that? I mean, how, how hard is it to avoid the hype when you're playing a team like that, that everybody's focused on, the building fills up, and all the other fanfare around it? Personally, me, I don't get caught up in it. You know, they're another team, and obviously they're really good, but we're really good also, and we're going to go out there and show them and just be able to compete against them. Well, Eric, thank you very much for the time. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Most teams look forward to coming home to break out of a slump, but Mike White's team seems to seek the opposite. Following a two-game losing streak last week, the Gators rebounded in a major way with consecutive wins by more than 30 points against LSU and Oklahoma. Chris Harry got to see both blastings firsthand, and we asked him to assess the dominant road trip. I certainly didn't see it coming. I don't know that a lot of people would have seen that coming given the the last couple games, Adam. You know, just not a good effort against Vanderbilt, particularly defensively. And then after going 0-17 for at South Carolina, um, you know, how do you anticipate a game where you go to Baton Rouge and you make a school record uh, 19 three-pointers exactly one week after you go 0 for 17. (laughs) So I think it goes back to just some, you know, real talk from the coaching staff. These guys uh, got together after that Vanderbilt game and just kicked some things around and pointed some fingers at one another, pointed some fingers at themselves, um, had some discussions about what happened to the team that we had back in November in December that was bouncing around the state, playing great defense and those kind of things, uh, and getting along better, sharing the ball better, playing more uh, selfless than they had been those uh, those last. And, and really not the two losses, Adam. The, the, you can take it back to the Georgia mm-hmm. win, and which I believe was the last of that seven-game win streak. They weren't guarding people um, on the back end of that at all. And they really pinpointed it to the point where uh, the defense in the exact tech arena was bad, 49%, starting with Arkansas Little Rock. And so I think they kind of made a decision. we got to get back to doing what we do best, and that's defending and sharing the basketball and not worrying about scoring. And that's let's, let's be honest, these are uh, 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old kids. That's a lot easier said than done. Mm-hmm. But yet you go to LSU – and you have that kind of night. Uh, Devin Robinson goes for a career-high 24, career-high, I believe, uh, 8-9 rebounds, whatever it was. And Kavarius Hayes in Oklahoma comes off the bench, career-high 20 points, career-high 9 rebounds. And with doing that, he was the seventh Florida basketball player this year to lead the team in scoring. Wow. So that's a nice little uh, reflection of the balance on this team. But, I mean, in the bigger picture, a 35-point win at LSU, then a 32-point win at Oklahoma, first of all, LSU isn't very good. They're pretty good offensively. They're very, they're not very good at all defensively, and you still got to make those shots. Mm-hmm. Oklahoma had been in games, and they had their best player, uh, Jordan Woodard, back. And for some reason, Jordan Woodard, the Gators sapped every bit of energy out of that guy. He did not want to play in that game. He didn't want to play against Florida's defense. He was 0 for 7 with four turnovers. Lon Kruger benched him three minutes into the second half and said, you're done. Florida was in command of the game and, you know, did something they hadn't done in 102 years of Florida basketball. Went back-to-back games by 30 points on the road. Now the challenge, and Mike White said this after game, is how do you bottle that 
and bring that back to Gainesville and play like that in our home arena, which uh, the Gators have not been able to do. So the question, how are they going to respond to that? How are they going to respond to prosperity? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 16-5 and five in pretty good shape uh, relative to some things that they're looking to down the line. There's a tournament that happens. The end there of is year, a right? tournament that happens. I've heard and, of that. Yeah, and if you recall, the best Florida looked last year, and I want to say their record was 15-8, and eight, I believe. It was coming off the West Virginia game. Mm-hmm. They destroyed West Virginia here, I think was ninth in the country, had a very high RPI. Same weekend, too. It was the exact same weekend. It was the Big 12 SEC. That's exactly right. And so things started to go south then, especially late, later in February when they lost those four straight games late in the season before winning the last regular season game. So, you know, remember after that Vanderbilt game, Mike White said this team is at a fork in a row. Where are we going to go? Well, so far so good. Let's see what happens against Missouri, a game they're supposed to win, a last-place team. They've lost 30 in a row on the road. Wow. And they've lost uh, 12 straight this year. I'm sure Mike White would say beat them by one point if you have to. But let's let's be serious. If the Gators are serious about that commitment to defense, that commitment to playing more selflessly, mm-hmm. they'll take care of uh, Missouri handily, then turn their attention to the next game. You talked about the two 30-point wins in the road and it being historic. It almost highlights a phenomenon with this team. And, and even talking to Eric Hester earlier in the podcast, it seems like this team prefers playing on the road. And I'm not sure if that is at all because of the non-conference slate where that became the norm when they didn't have a home to play in, it seems like that was sort of forged during that time of the year. Being around these guys on the road doesn't really affect them. Yeah, being mm-hmm. out there, I mean, they, they seem to be okay with it. They hang out. They socialize. I mean, socialize among each other. They're not, like, going out or whatever, obviously. <laughs> but um, that hasn't really been a problem. You know, they played some pretty good games, uh, you know, away from home. Obviously, they lost in New York. They lost at Florida State. Those are uh, lost to Duke in New York, like I said. Those are the good teams. The one other loss, obviously, was the – was the Gonzaga game, and then terrible performance of South Carolina, although a great performance on the defensive end. It was just had to do with shooting, but this is a great new arena now, mm-hmm. and the Rowdies are doing their part. Uh, the fans are doing their part. There's, it's a chance the Missouri game will be sold out against the last-place team. The Kentucky game is already sold out. Texas A&M in a few weeks is sold out. All the elements around them are there. All mm-hmm. right, now they have to do their part by playing better. And that doesn't mean just uh, you know scoring. That means defending at a much higher level than allowing teams like whether it's Vanderbilt or Georgia like they have in the past. Uh, Arkansas Little Rock shot 50% in here against them. So if you allow, uh, uh, whether it's Kentucky or whether it's uh, down the line, I'm trying to think off the top of my head who, el- who else is coming in here the rest of the season. Arkansas has to come back here. South Carolina. South Carolina has to come back here. If you play that kind of defense against teams like that, then you're putting yourself, you know, you're, you're setting yourself up for another really disappointing situation. They know how they can defend. They know that their defense is a trigger point to make their offense better and get Casey Hill out in transition, Chris Gio's out in transition, stepping in into some three-pointers. They saw that was their identity in these games. Now, granted, you didn't expect you know, a wipeout like that, but playing the way they did with that kind of intensity, Adam, they also uh, kind of negated one of their biggest weaknesses, is, and that's defensive rebounding, I think, or rebounding in general, actually, mm-hmm. because they ended up in the two games combined at a plus 19 over those two games on the road. That stuff has to be done at home when everything is working for you. All the intangibles, all the elements are in your favor. Talking to Eric Hester earlier in the podcast, seems like a guy who really appreciates the opportunity, is ready to go at a moment's notice. And I guess the question becomes, Chris, after what he did against LSU and, and that talent was on display, what is his role going forward, and does it expand now following this road trip? I think the thing about Eric Hester, I mean, it's funny, I, I got asked on Twitter and what have you, because 
he steps it. He goes five, five for five out of the blue, mm-hmm. scores career-high 16 points. Uh, coming into that game, he had 16 points. He goes out and he scores 16. He hits those five threes or what have you. Everyone says, oh, obviously, Eric Hester is going to have a bigger role. Well, I, that's not necessarily the case, but what that performance, Adam, did – show the coaching staff is at the moment one too big for him and mm-hmm. then he did earn a little bit of trust and he it, it wasn't just his shooting he went out there and uh, Mike White always uses this uh, phrase he got in a stance which means he was playing good defense and he's also catching the ball and you know looking inside he was doing he did pump fakes he took maybe a dribble and 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 mm-hmm. tried to reverse the ball so he was doing his job and then against Oklahoma, I think Oklahoma had him finally on the scouting report. I guarantee he wasn't on LSU, LSU scouting no. report. There, I'm sure Johnny Jones, not that it matter, was looking and going, "Who the hell is this guy? Whoever <laughs> who's got?" Why didn't someone <laughs> tell me about yeah, yeah, that guy? Yeah, that's, that's right. But um, then against Oklahoma, they chased him off three point line. He guns in and, and sticks a little floater in the basket. Now, you know he he played 17 minutes uh, at LSU and scored 16 points. He plays 14 and took two shots and, sc- and scored two points. I mean, this is a freshman that really nobody knew about. Mm-hmm. Olsmar Christian in Tampa, uh, teammate of Dante Bassett is uh, the other guy who's redshirt, the other freshman who's redshirt and the freshman forward. But nobody really knew about him, but Florida had faith in him relative to what he could possibly give them defensively. Um, other than that, I mean, point guard, no. You know, great shooter, no, but he's worked on that. Mm-hmm. And obviously he showed some capability on that front and he has shown some improvement. So what you do is you kind of take this in a box and look at it and say, this guy is a much better player now than he was when he got here. And these are the kind of players Florida has to have as a program, four-year guys Mm -hmm. that develop. And Mike White and his staff have have done a really nice job with him. And I tell you what, what you hear all the guys talk about is how good a teammate he is. He's, He's a great cheerleader on the sidelines. And he's not some guy who's moping if he's not playing him. I'm looking at his play-by-play here. He had one, two, three, four. He had five DNPs in the SEC uh, heading into that heading into that LSU game. And then you st- all of a sudden you stick him in and, and, he, and he scores 16. Didn't need all the 16 points. It would have been nice to maybe, maybe get one this weekend or something mm-hmm. like that. But, uh, again, I go back to he's all of a sudden a person that, that in a pinch – Maybe you just don't stick him out there at the end of the half when you're trying to save guys in foul trouble. You can maybe put him in there when you when you need him at a different time. So let's bring this back to this week. Missouri, you mentioned. Let's talk more about Kentucky. Uh, we have to. We we got to talk about Kentucky. Whenever, Coach, Coach White doesn't want to talk about whenever, Kentucky. Whenever Kentucky comes in town, <laughs> it's a very big deal. Mm-hmm. What have you seen from this particular Kentucky team, and how do they match up with Florida? Oh boy! Uh, I mean, once again, it's a McDonald's hamburger joint. I mean, <laughs> you know, they—they, they, I believe, I believe there were four more in this freshman class. Ray Kroc could coach that team. Uh, you for know, as many McDonald's All-Americans. Yeah, there. yeah. I mean, it starts with De'Aaron Fox, the point guard. He's long. He's rangy, but where he's just absolutely phenomenal is in transition and in live ball situations, off misses and what have you, if he gets it going, that's a problem, okay? So Florida needs to be cognizant of the up-and-down factor with De'Aaron Fox, not nearly as effective in a half-court offense than he is, you know, in a wide-open floor. All right, you got now you got to deal with Malik Monk, okay? All you need to know about that guy is uh, in a neutral side game earlier this year against North Carolina, he scored 47 <laughs> points. I mean, anybody it's who follows college detail. basketball yeah. saw that. Um, this is a guy who went to high school. He's from Little Rock, okay? He and Kayvon Allen had a rivalry there. Kayvon Allen never lost to him. Wow. Uh, Kayvon Allen beat him, I believe it was twice in state championship games there. So there may be a little personal kind of a, a um, 
duel going on between those two. But, you, you know, you kind of hope that from Kayvon's standpoint, he keeps it locked in where he needs to keep that locked in. Um, Bam out of Bayou is <laughs> another big guy who's going to, you know, 6'10", I believe, 236, 240, something like that. He's going to be a challenge. He's going to be guy who's going to be in the NBA probably next season. So you're talking about a typical Kentucky team. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll be uh, their fans will be in the new arena for the first time. They will have tickets. They will be annoying. All right, but that's what they do. This is what they gear all up for. And be honest with you, right now, uh, after last week, after losing to Tennessee on the road, a game they shouldn't have lost, of course, uh, and then losing to Kansas at home, they're they're frothing at the mouth right now. They're mm-hmm. they're they're up there. They're seventeen and four, number eight in the country. Adam, they're saying, what the hell is wrong with our basketball team? So it's game day. It's going to be a crazy environment. Obviously, uh, you hope the Rowdies get involved in the whole thing with the Jay Billis and and that game day crew at the O-Dome Saturday morning. But um, all in all, you know, it's, what more can you ask for? It's the primetime game on ESPN that night, and um, everyone will be looking forward to it. But I don't want to say it's a, it's a make-or-break game by any stretch of the imagination, but obviously Mike White's looking to build signature wins, mm-hmm. and certainly that'll be an opportunity. But if, if you put the microphone right in front of him right now, he'd certainly be talking about Missouri before you talk about De'Aaron Fox. Luckily, we can talk about both <laughs> of them. Chris, thank you very much. All right. And that's going to do it for today's show. As always, we encourage you to subscribe to the official podcast of the Gators on the podcast app of your choice, and please leave us a review so that we can continue to grow. We also ask that you follow us on Twitter at Gators Podcast, like our new Facebook page, and email GatorsPodcast at gmail.com with any feedback or suggestions you have for the show. We'll be back next week with an all-new episode. So until then, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you in Exact Tech Arena.